Blog Talk Radio. Turn on the light. Save the world from darkness, yeah. Turn on the light. Won't you please, my friend, yeah. Welcome to the Turn on the Light broadcast with Pastor Stephen and Ann Butterfield. We are assistant pastors of Light of the World Christian Tabernacle International Church in Stockbridge, Georgia, with our awesome leaders, Bishop Ruth W. Smith and Pastor Supreme Austin. We are so glad that you have tuned in. We are going to show you a God that will bring you out. So call your neighbors and call your friends. Call Lottie Dottie and everybody. Tell them that the Turn on the Light broadcast is on the air. Tell them to dial 917-388-4161. And while you're getting your neighbors and your friends, here's a song just for you. Something inside of me Should have 
Praise the Lord and welcome to the Turn on the Light broadcast with Pastor Stephen and Ann Butterfield. We are so excited that you have tuned in tonight. We are so glad that you have tuned in and we give God all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. And we thank God for another day and another opportunity that we can give him the glory. We thank God that we we have the mindset to trust him. We have the mindset to go on in the name of Jesus. We thank God for the Holy Ghost that continue to lead us and continue to guide us and show us the way. Not only that, but the Holy Ghost will comfort you in your time of sorrow. So we thank God for uh, each one of you that has tuned in tonight. This is going to be a great night in the Lord, and we have had ourselves an awesome day today. Um, We had our church-wide meeting, and we had a first minister's meeting for 2023, so we uh, have our assignments, and we are ready to go forward, so we just thank God that God God continues to move and to help us to be able to do what we need to do uh, in the body of Christ. So we just want to thank everyone for tuning in, and we want to say uh, Happy New Year to those that we have not spoken to this year, and uh, Happy New Year, and we praise God that you are you're still doing well. So we just give God the glory and all and all the honor today. You know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything belongs to the Lord. And so uh, we just praise God because God continues to supply our every need, no matter what is going on in our lives. We need to give God the glory. Amen. So we just thank you so much, and we have a word that is going to come forth on tonight, and we thank God for our church, the Light of the World, Christian Tabernacle International Church in Stockbridge, Georgia. We are located at 5883 Highway 155 North in Stockbridge. We have our evangelism service tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, and we have Sunday school at 9, and then our regular church service starts at 10 a.m., But you don't want to miss it because we will be installing our new pastor at the 3 o'clock hour tomorrow at the Light of the World. So we want you to come on out. If you can't come out, then watch us on YouTube. We'll be out there on YouTube. So please watch us on YouTube. It's going to be a great and awesome day of the installation of our new pastor. And so we just give God the glory and the praise. And we thank God for our leaders, uh, Archbishop Ruth Smith, who is our co-founder, and Pastor Hartman, who is our um, uh, senior pastor at the Light of the World, along with his wife, um, uh, Lady Ebony. We just thank God for them and for their life, and we thank God for giving us this opportunity to be with you uh, on tonight. Amen? And we just give God the glory for it. We have a... um, uh, an awesome word that is going to come up uh, tonight with Pastor Fair. He is well known to our broadcast. He is a man of God, God along with his uh, lovely wife, Mary. We just thank God for them, and we thank God for him continuing to do this broadcast. Um, and we give a shout-out to him because he was uh, on the mission field for, for uh, Christmas, uh, helping the little children. He was the Santa. So we just praise God for that, and we just give God all the praise for him still. He want to, um, I, I, I think he probably was doing some of his magical stuff while he was there working with those kids at Santa. Uh, but uh, I know that those kids had themselves a great time with him, but not only that, but he had a great time with them, I'm pretty sure. But we want to hear from the man of God on tonight, so we are going to uh, bring him on live on the air because we we missed um, we missed hearing his voice, um, Pastor Fair. Am I in the wrong thing? Good, good evening, uh, Sister Butterfield. How are you? Doing good, doing good, doing great. Yes, I did indeed have a fantastic time uh, there in Rocky Mount, North Carolina for 30 days. Uh, I was uh, in a mall there and uh, 
Mary joined me on the 17th of December and stayed with me that last week. And we just had a ball. We drove back Christmas Day. And uh, I'm looking forward, actually, to doing it again next year, or this year, rather. Wow. <laughs> so I knew if you were having you a good time. Oh, yes, I sure was. Uh, There were so many young youngsters that come along. I don't even know how many we had, but we had we had a bunch. And uh, I had several newborns from a week old on up. And when I would hold them up to my face and get the picture, I took the opportunity to whisper John 316 in their ear. So uh, they got to hear the gospel. All right now, all right now. That is great. Awesome. So if you've got your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 5. I've visited this before, and uh, the Lord had given me uh, five porches. I couldn't get that off of my mind and off of my heart uh, that uh, I shared with the the listeners, uh, five porches that keep us from doing what God has called us to do, which was the porch of uh, doubt, the porch of fear, porch of unbelief, the porch of the past, and the porch of tradition. And uh, that was a very strong message. And tonight God has taken me a different direction in the book of John, chapter 5. Uh, it's a familiar story to many of us. The paralytic man was laying by the pool of Bethesda, and uh, he had laid there for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him, Jesus showed, first of all, pity on him. He then showed compassion on him, and he showed uh, uh, his healing power, and then he disappeared. The Jews were upset with the man for carrying his mat on the Sabbath day, but Jesus, when Jesus saw him in verse 6, he said, when Jesus saw him lie there and knew that it had been now a long time in the, that case, he saith unto him, wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus Jesus said unto him, Take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and he walked. And the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered to them, and he, made, he that made me whole said unto me, Take up my bed and walk. And then they asked him, Which man said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? So the man didn't know who he was because Jesus had disappeared into the crowd, that were, as we see in verse 13. And he, took, he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away. A multitude being in that place, afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. So the man departed, and then at that point his identity was made known, and the man that was healed went away and told the Jews that uh, it was Jesus that had healed him. And in verse 16, we see, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. And some of the laws from the first century are absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you see the the compassion that Jesus had. You see the pity that he showed on the man. You see that he, he gave him his health, and then Jesus disappeared and not saying a word. And instead of recognizing what Jesus had done, the Jews here showed legalism, very much so showed legalism, simply because of what? Jesus had done and what the man had done that Jesus healed was against the law as it was done on the Sabbath. And to give you an idea of some of the laws of the first century, I've got several of them here that I found that are absolutely, to me, are absolutely absurd. And so I'd like to share these with you. By law, Jesus our Jews could not sell anything to a non-Jew if what was sold would not reach its destination before the Sabbath began. Now, these were some of the laws. Bread could not be put in the oven 
when darkness was falling on the Sabbath, as it would not be done before the Sabbath began. <laughs> Untying a knot was forbidden if it, if it required both hands. Or you could untie a knot with one hand, but you could not use both hands. It was an oral law, and these oral laws are what the Jews and the Sadducees and Pharisees were using to prosecute Jesus. These oral laws were ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. Here's some more. A man could not wear nail-studded wooden shoes on the Sabbath because this would be constituted as plowing on the Sabbath. (laughs) A woman could walk around in her own courtyard with false hair, but she could not walk around on the streets with it. These are laws now. Uh, One can only drink a mouthful of milk on the Sabbath. Can you imagine (laughs) not being able to drink more than just a mouthful of milk on the Sabbath? A schoolmaster could watch his students read, but he could not read. Rabbis disagreed whether or not a crippled person whose leg was cut off could go out without his wooden stump. Uh, You stop and you think about that, how ridiculous that would be, not to be able to go out with just his wooden stump, with his, uh, yeah. So you think of these oral laws, and that's what they were, oral laws that the Jews, the Sadducees, and Pharisees had put into place the best of my knowledge, they weren't in writing anywhere, but they were all laws, and just like they, it was against the law for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath, that was an oral law. Just like it was against the law for that man to pick up his mat and walk with it on the Sabbath, that was an oral law. So legalism came into the picture very much so here, and I don't think we realize how much Jesus had to go through. He left the comforts of heaven, came to walk on this earth, to live and die and then be resurrected for you and for me, for the sins, past, present, and future that we have in our lives. These laws are just an example of what Jesus had to put up with. There's more. I haven't finished reading those laws to you because I thought they were absolutely absurd. Uh, Sons of kings could go out without, without bells on their clothing. Uh, you had to go out, if you were a son of a king, you had to go out with bells on, but on the Sabbath you could go out without bells? How That does not make sense to me. A scorpion, now get this one, a scorpion could be covered or killed on the Sabbath. So it would not bite. Jews considered it unlawful to fill a dish with oil and wick and put it close to a lamp so that one may have light. (laughs) Beds were to be spread prior to the Sabbath for the Sabbath day, but not on the Sabbath for for the night following the Sabbath. These are laws. These are all laws, folks, from the first century. One could not hold enough ink. Oh, this one. I love this one. One could not hold enough ink to write two letters as this would constitute a burden. (laughs) Uh, the The Jews, the Sadducees, the Pharisees here in the fifth chapter of John, all the way through uh, chapter 12, verse 50, show legalism towards Jesus. They show uh, their authority over these oral laws. And it's no wonder that Jesus was avoiding obeying these laws by all costs. As you see, the the magnitude of some of them is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Here's another one. A person could not put an egg beside a boiling kettle on the Sabbath to cook it. No, nor could anyone bury the egg in hot sand or in the dust on the road to cook it. (laughs) If a man fell asleep while he were on a journey and night fell on the Sabbath, he could move in any direction only 2,000 cubits, which is just a little bit over a half a mile. 
Some adjustments were made to this according to different rabbis. <laughs> the restriction of 2,000 cubits distance one could go for from his house was established for safety's sake, to keep one from transgression. Staying close to home would keep that man from getting into trouble. <laughs> does that uh, does that kind of rub the wrong way there? Because they can get just as much trouble at home as they can within a half a mile of their home. But these were some of the oral laws. These were the legalisms that uh, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees were using against Jesus the whole time that they were going after him. If a man was on a journey and Sabbath darkness overtook him, he could establish a familiar tree on the road as his Sabbath by stating, let my Sabbath resting place be at the root of this tree. And thus he could walk a distance in any direction of 2,000 cubits from the root of that tree. The Sabbath limit could be extended further toward his house up to a distance of 2,000 cubits more. Thus, he could travel 4,000 cubits, about 1.1 mile to his house after dark on the Sabbath. So there's two laws right here that just contradict themselves. They can't walk more than 2,000 cubits on the Sabbath, but if he's going towards his home, he can walk an extra 2,000 cubits. So they're, they're kind of uh, showing they're two-faced. They're, they're kind of showing uh, what their, their laws mean to them when they contradict them just like that. The, uh, the Misna was where the, these rules come from. The Misna, it's M-I-S-H-N-A-H, Misna, which is a recorded compilation of Jewish laws that previously had been passed down orally. That's what I'm saying. They were all laws, but they had this thing called the Mishnah where they come from. Rabbis deliberately, with heated discussion, sought about 220 B.C. to set the boundaries of interpretation of that law, the result of their work was the Mishnah. The Mishnah has six divisions, which are further divided into tukates. The Sabbath, then it's written Shabbath, S-H-A-B-A-T-H, the Sabbath is the first of the 12 tukates, in the second division. The Reuben is the second of tricates in the second division, was written to make the oral law related to the Sabbath. So they made laws to cover their laws to cover their laws. They had the oral laws, which they put into the Mishnah, which they put into the Uberin, uh, which they put into the, to be related to the Sabbath. So how would you have liked to have lived in those days, when these laws, when these things uh, could so easily they say you are being disobedient, you are uh, you are doing something illegal on the Sabbath, <laughs> and more, something more bearable by extending the boundaries. First century Jews considered the study of uh, Talmud the first importance uh, of the Mishnah. Second, and the lastly, Hebrew scriptures the Old Testament. So they've got their oil, they've got the Mishnah, they've got the Urban, and then it goes back to the, the uh, Talmud. So there's five things that all recover their laws. And we see the legalism that they're talking about in chapter five. But so many times we overlook it because we just see that Jesus was being persecuted for healing a lame man when the whole time there was so much legalism going on that it kind of stayed hidden in the background. We don't really pay attention to it. We read through this chapter, and we see and we understand, yes, Jesus came upon this man. He showed him pity. He showed him compassion. He did not know his identity at first. So when the man found him at the temple, he then knew who he was. He then reported back to the Jews, and they started trying to hammer him with, you did something against the law. You see, in, in John, up to the present time, the Lord has offered himself to 
typical representations of the whole Jewish race at Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in Galilee, in such a way to satisfy the elements of true faith. Now the conflict begins which issues in the passion. Step-by-step faith and unbelief are called out in a parallel development. The works and words of Christ become a power for the revelation of men's thoughts. The main scene of this saddest of all conceivable tragedies in Jerusalem, the crisis of its development of the national festivals and the whole controversy, the whole controversy is based on three things. The healing of the impotent man at Bethesda that we see in chapter 5. In verse 9, the healing of the man born blind. In chapter 11, the rising of Lazarus. <laughs> in the sixth chapter is a Galilean episode, marking the crisis of faith and unbelief outside of Judea proper. The unity of the record is marked by the symptoms of the earlier conflict, which appears at the later stages that we see in chapter uh, 7, verse 19, for example. Did Moses not give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Oh, 5.18, you can compare it with that. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he said also that God was his father, making him equal with God. So the Jews were constantly bringing up this, legalism, and they themselves didn't see that they were doing anything wrong. They were going against God's word themselves to uphold all laws, something that was simply spoken, that it was going to be a law. How in the world, I would like to know how the people were found out that they were doing something illegal except for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Jews come to them and say, you can't do that. That's against the law. Uh, if it's oral, nobody knew about it. In my book, with the exception of the parts of, of uh, the contents of this division of the gospel are peculiar to John. The narrative here falls into two parts. The prelude in chapters 5 and 6, and the great controversy in chapters 7 through 12. In 5 and 6, the prelude consists of two decisive incidents with their immediate consequences. One at Jerusalem that we see in chapter 5 at the sheep market. The other in Galilee, which is in chapter 6, and it's the first we have Christ's revelation of himself in answer to false views of his relation to God. We see that in chapter 5, verse 18. It's the very first time it comes up. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So the Jews took all of this stuff and compiled it against Jesus, against oral laws. You see the difference there, God put his laws into writing, something tangible, something you could get your hands on. Even in the Old Testament, Moses brought forth the Ten Commandments. They were laws put into writing by God, whereas the Jews, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees had their laws that were oral. <clears throat> How many of the people heard those oral Laws. How many people knew of those oral laws? Jesus' revelation of himself in answer to the false views for, of his work for men, also in 6.15, when Jesus therefore perceived that there would come and take him by force to him, a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. 
Woo! See, Jesus didn't hesitate to castigate the Jews when they come to him with his laws. He didn't hesitate to answer them with the word of God because the word of God was written. It was something tangible. It was something that for all men to see, something oral is just for a select few uh, of the Sanhedrin, perhaps. In the first case, revelation is indirect. The son compared uh, in verse uh, 24, 30, and 31. Uh, let's take 24, for example. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither of his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. In the second case, revelation uh, is predominantly direct. I am. Look at uh, verse 40. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up of the last day. The legalism that the Jews, the Sadducees and Pharisees were based on were all based off of these oral Laws, which were then put into five different forms called five different names, and then they used them against Jesus. But still, how much of the population heard these oral laws, knew anything about them? Obviously, the man that was healed in chapter 5 didn't know anything about him because Jesus told him, pick up thy mat and walk. You're healed. He did what Jesus told him to do. He had no concept or no idea that he was doing something against the law because he was going by the word of the man that healed him. The section closes with the final division in a circle of disciples, chapter 6, verse 66. For that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And the foreshadowing of the end, chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen but you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, and being one of the twelve. So you see, there's a lot more to this than the legalism that we're seeing in chapter 5. It goes so much deeper than just what we're going to be able to see in chapter 5. But some of these laws that I read you folks, they, they are absolutely ridiculous. I mean, taking you can't have enough ink to write two letters because it would be considered a burden. What kind of law is that? <laughs> uh, the, the woman and this one I would love to see the opinion of today uh, they're in the mall at the Rocky Mount everybody man woman and child had these uh, what they call them hair extensions so it was against the law the woman could walk around her courtyard her own courtyard without the hair extensions or false hair is what the law says but she could not walk out in the street with them Mm. <laughs> How it just don't make sense to me. The son and the father in chapter five. The record of the healing in verse two in verses two through nine and the immediate sequel to it in verses nine through eighteen is followed by a long discourse discourse addressed by the Lord to the Jews in answer to their charge that he spake of God as his own father, as his father, in a sense, holy, unique, this discourse consists of mainly two divisions, the nature and prerogative of the son, verses 19 through 20, uh, 19 through 29, excuse me, the witness of the son and the ground of unbelief, verses 31 through 47 in chapter 5. Verse 30 serves as a connecting link between the two parts. The contents of these two sections form the foundation of all the letter teaching in the gospel. Mm. This, the discourse appears to have been addressed to a small official gathering, perhaps to the Sanhedrin, and certainly not to the multitude. Can you, oh, can you imagine? The multitude didn't hear about this. Uh, verses 33 and 39, 
ye sent unto John, and, Matt, and he bear witness unto the truth. Verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they that which testify of me. So the legalism is not just contained simply in the first part of John. We begin to see it throughout the entire New Testament. Until Jesus was crucified and buried and resurrected, you see the legalism. After the resurrection, you don't see so much of it. You still find some of it, but not nearly as much. The sign that we're looking at. The healing of the impotent man was a work wrought by the Lord spontaneously. He chose both the object of it and the occasion. The malady of the sufferer was not urgent in such a sense that the cure could have been more delayed. The cure, therefore, was not wrought on a Sabbath, although it was a Sabbath, because it was Sabbath with the view of bringing out a deeper truth in verse uh, chapter 7 verse 21 and Jesus answered and said unto them I have done one work and ye all marveled mm. you all marveled for other healings on Sabbath uh, look at Matthew chapter 12 verse 9 and when he had departed thence he went into the synagogue and behold there was a man which had had his hand withered and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? So they were looking to accuse Jesus there. Uh, there's a parable in uh, Luke 13:10, And he teaching in one of the synagogues of the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could not in no wise lift her up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was straight and glorified God. Oh, you see, the Sadducees and Pharisees didn't like that. Even though it was on the Sabbath, they still were looking for things and ways to trap Jesus. But Jesus always came back with the word of God. Same thing that we should do when something happens in our lives. We should snap back at it with the word of God. It doesn't matter whether it's in our personal life. It doesn't matter whether it's in our business life. It doesn't matter if it's in our entire sphere of influence. We should be able to and know the, the word of God good enough that we should snap back with everything that comes our way. And and. Act like Jesus. We are Christian means to be Christ-like. So if we are to be Christ-like, he responded everything that, that the Sanhedrin, everything that the Jews and the Sadducees and Pharisees was trying to catch him with, he responded with the word of God. Pretty awesome uh, example we've got there. For other healings on the Sabbath, we look at that Matthew and uh, 12, 9, and uh, Luke 13, 10. Chapter 5, 1. These things, there is a slight difference between after this, uh, we see in 2, 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Look, uh, you can, uh, 11, verse 7. Then after he saith to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. He didn't stop after these things and it, that we see the beginning of verse 5. He didn't stop there. The preceding and subsequent events, which is not suggested by the latter. A feast here in verse 5. The evidence of, for the identification of this unnamed feast is very slight. The tradition of the early Greek church identified it with uh, Pentecost. Most modern commentators suppose it to be the Feast of Pernum, or Purium, March. From a comparison, uh, look at chapter 4, verse 35. Say not ye, there are ye yet four months, and they, they cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. 
Another comparison that you can look at, look at 6-4. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. So there is at Jerusalem, it says, the very beginning of uh, chapter 5, it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. There is at Jerusalem, the use of the present tense, it, it does not prove that the narrative was written before the description or the destruction of Jerusalem. It is quite natural that St. John is recalling the event, should speak of the place as he knew it. It has indeed been conjuncted that a building used for benevolent purpose might have been spared in general ruin. But this explanation of the phrase is improbable. By the sheep... You know, we're trying to break these down now, statement by statement. In the, as for this, uh, in feast in Jerusalem, by the sheep, by the sheep market, in the sheep gate, which lay near the temple of the east of the city, it uh, through it cannot now be fixed. Uh, the epilis, which is most naturally supplied by gate is apparently with our parallel. But, you know, you see the legalism here, folks, that the Jews and the Sadducees and Pharisees were coming against Jesus with. You see the Misna, you see the, uh, the uh, Mishra, the Jews on the Sabbath. No wonder Jesus' Sabbath day ministry all of his works conflicted with the Pharisees and their devotion to oral law. <laughs> One Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples traveled through a grain field. In Mark chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, the disciples who were hungry picked some heads of grain to eat. And the Pharisees who regained the disciples' behavior as work were quick to point out that Jesus' disciples had done nothing or something unlawful on the Sabbath simply because they picked some grain to eat. Mm. Jesus responded in two ways on this. First, he pointed to an Old Testament example where human need took precedence over the law. David and his soldiers in need of food entered the tabernacle and ate the bread of the, of the presence. And First Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6 is where that's found. Second, Jesus gave a principle for all Sabbath observances. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Jews didn't get a hold of that. The Sadducees and Pharisees didn't get a hold of that, that it was made for man and not man made for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is, even on the Sabbath, in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, Jesus, beloved, uh, Jesus believed God had in, in, uh, instituted the Sabbath for the benefit of people, not for mere adhesion to legalistic rules. All the Sadducees and Pharisees were trying to prove and to uphold for the Sabbath was indeed an adherence to legalistic rules, to oral laws. Oh, and you know, I'm stressing that because uh, there, there was no TV, there was no radio back then. How, okay, if they, they stood and announced to a crowd that, okay, this is the law on the, of the Sabbath. And you know how you whisper something in somebody's ear and it goes around the room and it never comes out the same when it ends as when it started? Well, how would the oral laws not do the same thing back then? Okay, they say you can't carry enough ink to write two letters because it would be considered a burden. How would that come out after it had gone through thousands and thousands of people? Uh, it wouldn't be the same, would it? I, I don't think so. The lordship of Jesus, not petty regulations, should determine how people observe the Sabbath. I, oh, 
there is so much meat in that statement right there. Just the lordship of Jesus, not petty regulations, should determine how people observe the Sabbath. Mm. Several times in the gospel accounts, Jesus defended his, uh, the work he did on the Sabbath. Uh, we can see in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, John chapter one, uh, 5, verse 1 uh, through 18, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. All of these were where Jesus was defending the gospel. Jesus always placed human need above external observances and the Sabbath laws. He emphasized the purposes of the spirit of the law, of the Sabbath law, instead of the external regulations of oral law. With all of the ways that Jesus himself stood up against these oral laws, we see repeatedly how the Sadducees and Pharisees and the Jews constantly bombarded Jesus with, this is against the law, this is against the law, this is against the law, you can't do this. You can't feed yourself on the Sabbath. It's against the law. It's considered work because you harvested some grain. Uh, you can't, if you're hungry, you can't bury an egg in the sand to cook it. You can't even place it next to boiling water to cook it. How many people heard these, and how did it stay the same since it was an oral law, and it goes around even the room? Forget the countryside. It goes through just a room. But here we know it went through an entire countryside. Well, uh, through Galilee, Judea. It went through Jerusalem. It went through several places. So how much does it lose every time it's repeated? And to where it started and where it ended, how I would love to have known how much it differed, how much it changed. We see in this text that we're looking at, the pool, a pool has been identified by some with an intermittent spring known as the Fountain of the Virgin in the Valley of Kindred. The traditional site of the vicarate uh, Israel and by the modern gate of uh, St. Stephen and northeast of the city, but neither spot fully answers the conditions of the pool, of the pool. In the Hebrew tongue, that is the language of those beyond the river, brought from Babylon and not in classical language of the Old Testament, we, uh, the original reading and the meaning of the name are both very uncertain. The common interpretation of form Bethesda is house, house of mercy to be exact. But this is open to object to the ground of usage, and it has been supposed to represent the house of portico. So there's, you see there's a lot going on here in Chapter 5 that we fail to take a look at. There's a lot based on the legalism that is going on here, and it, it explains a whole lot of what Jesus was confronting and uh, what he was confronted with, and it had all to do with all laws. And, uh, yeah, the Jews and the Sadducees and Pharisees could stand and, and very stoutly uh, disagree with Jesus because it's their oral laws. And to me, something that's oral can change. We see it in our societies today. We see it uh, off of new, news broadcasts. We see it in our own groups in church, things orally spoken, things that are spoken out loud are subject to change. So, yeah, it would be easy for the Jews and the Sadducees and Pharisees, since they're oral laws, it would be very easy for them to say, sure, you're breaking the law. That's against the, the law for the Sabbath. But the, there, there's the research you can do on the laws of the first century. You would be amazed at some of the things that come up. It's, uh, it's no wonder Jesus stood so, so uh, took such a strong stand against them. 
And to me, Jesus tried to expose them. It's what he was trying to do. Uh, the way they established their oral laws, and I'm doing the air quote thing here, the way they established their oral laws uh, that everyone was supposed to know about. I haven't found it yet, but uh, that's something I'm going to continue to look at and look for. How did they get the word out about these oral laws? They put it in five forms, but none of the five forms were the same. Even their own books, even their own registrations of these oral laws, there were five different ways that they put them out, and none of them lined up. How in the world were the people supposed to know what was against the law when the Jews, the Sadducees, and Pharisees had five accounts of it themselves, including the oral? And so that's six accounts of their laws of the first century. How in the world were the people supposed to know? But I believe with all of my heart that Jesus was trying to expose them for what they were doing, the Jews and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, because they were being so legalistic. And they were, they were using it not only against Jesus, but they used it against the entire population. And Jesus saw that and knew it was wrong. He saw that and was trying to show them the error of their ways. But they did not want to see it. They did not want to hear it. They did not want to participate in it because it didn't line up with their oral laws. That, it simply amazes me, Pastor Butterfield, how these oral laws were so heavily enforced when not too many people would know about them. So next time you're reading through the fifth chapter of John, think about that legalism. Think about the things that Jesus faced there. Think about the things that Jesus faced his entire walk here on earth for 33 years. The legalism. He left the comfort of heaven. He loved you and I so much. He left the comfort of heaven. He knew what he was going to go through here. He knew the legalism he was going to face. He knew the accusations that were going to be pressed towards him and against him. And yet he left the comforts of heaven because of his love for you. His love for me was so much stronger than what he knew he was headed for himself. The legalism did not phase Jesus, did not scare him, and did not deter him. If anything, it made him stronger. So when you stop and you think about the legalism that Jesus faced, stop and think about how truly blessed we are that we don't have to face the same kind of thing, these oral laws. Pastor Butterfield? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you so much for that word. I tell you, I'm, Pastor Sam, I'm going to have to go back and, and these people probably really with not knowing what he heard. How could they help not to be? Huh? How could they help not to be confused? Because the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Jews, like I said, they had six recorded ways that these oral laws came about, but none of the six, not one of the six lined up with one of the other ones. It just, <laughs> it boggles my mind. Oh, wow. That is so, wow. Got to go back and check that out. Uh, listen, thank you so much for this word, awesome word, and it's going to cause me to go back and, and look this up and look at the Jews and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and all of that, the things that they were doing during that time. Um, uh, we want to um, see if anyone have anything um, they want to say. You have a comment or you want to add to this um, this message. Uh, just press one on your phone and we'll be on the air. 
We have time. We have We'll bring you the Lord is really good, and I'm I'm so glad, Pastor Fair, that we have that we can um, and we some things right right we to the Holy Ghost and clear right way to go. So that is so awesome. So we uh, those of you that are listening in tonight. Go back and look. You're cutting out real bad. I know, cause it's it's something going on. I can hear the sound in my in the phone. But um, we are we are bishop we are bishop elects, Pastor Butterfield and I are bishop elects, and we are going to uh, be consecrated in July of this year. And so that is so, so awesome. Say that again. I said that Hello? is so awesome and so well deserving. <laughs> well, we want you know, you all to come if you can. Those of you that is online and here, uh, please come out and share with us. We'll be glad to have you uh, at the light of the world. I will give you all those uh, correct dates. I know it's in July, but I'm not quite sure what that date is. So we want to thank you so much, um, all of you, for tonight. And so next week, please dial this number, 917-388-4161, to the Turn on the Light broadcast with Pastor Stephen and Ann Butterfield. Have a great night, everybody. Good night. She was cutting out real bad.